1975, Jaws was released. It is routinely regarded as one of the greatest films of all time and is generally credited with creating the concept of the summer blockbuster. In 1978, in an obvious cash grab, Jaws 2 was released, failing to have lightning strike a second time, but presenting a generally enjoyable film. In 1983, Jaws 3D was released, shamelessly attempting to take advantage of a gullible audience. By 1987, there was no pretense of quality as Lorraine Gary and Michael Caine cashed paychecks for sleepwalking through a pointless and incredulous sequel. In 2016, Paul Spatero created Is It Jaws, in which he and a group of rotating guest hosts discuss new and old movies and place them up against the Jaws scale, which ignores some elements of the actual films and sets forth a rating scale. Jaws, an all-time great classic film. Jaws 2, an enjoyable film with some flaws but worthy of multiple viewings. Jaws 3, a moderately enjoyable film. And finally, Jaws 4, a bad movie. Please join Paul and his guests as they ask the ever-important question, Is it Jaws? Let's talk business. This guy comes to town every Tuesday. Are you free Tuesday? Yeah, I'm free Tuesday. You can't stop what you can't see. This guy came from the outside. He was a pro. He was fast. In the art of the kill, Leon was the master. Somebody's coming up. Somebody's serious. He never missed a hit. He never got caught. You're indestructible. Bullets slide off you. You play with them. And above all else, he never had a reason to care. Until now. I like these calm little moments before the storm. My family was shot down by DEA officers. Three kids here. One of them is missing. Find her. He's over the door. Please. From the director of La Femme Nikita. If you don't help me, I'll die tonight. I can feel it. An innocent girl with no one else to turn to. What exactly do you do for a living? Cleaner. You mean you're a hitman? Cool. A perfect assassin. I need you to help me, Leon. I want to get those dirtbags who killed my brother. With someone to finally believe in. Change ankle. Remember that, Leon. I will. They're about to come face to face with the cop who's crossed the line. Bring me everyone. What do you mean everyone? Hello, everybody, and welcome to Is It Yours? 
I'm Paul Spataro, and I am once again joined by my good friends, Darren and Ruth Sutherland. Hey, guys. Hey, happy to be here. Great to talk to you again, Paul. Happy to have you. You know, one of the pleasures of this show is, and, and I've discussed this with you in the past, that I get to do shows with people who I consider friends who I don't have regu a regular recording schedule with, such as yourselves. Uh, you know, it gives us a chance to, it gives us an excuse to get together online and talk a little bit, shoot the breeze, and then eventually record an episode. And one of the, the like the negative side of that is there's so many people, I guess it's, it's turning a positive into a negative. There's so many people who I enjoy doing this with that we end up going too long before we talk again. <laughs> And I don't like that. Well, it's really nice that you said that. I, I like the way you phrased all of that, because when you reached out to us and said, hey, uh, Ruth told me, she said, oh, Paul just wrote and asked if we would like to record. And we both immediately said, yes, we didn't even ask you what it was you wanted to talk about. It was just like, oh, whatever Paul wants to talk about, we're good to go. <laughs> so. oh, I appreciate that. I, I think you guys picked this one at some point, but I think you picked you had told me that you were interested in doing it. And I think like a year went by, and then when we decided we were going to record, it just was a natural, like, let's go to this one again. Yeah. So I think it seems like I picked it, but you guys picked it. it. You're probably right. It's one of those movies that I know we've talked about because we've talked about we've got a laundry list if people a wouldn't get list. bored. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say you could have us on every week and we'd still <laughs> – people would get tired of us then because there are just so many, many, so many movies that all three of us like, and it's such a – we were just using the word eclectic just before we started recording. It's such an eclectic list of movies that all three of us like. So it's wonderful that we have so many different things to talk about. Well, one of the things that, you know, in, in coming up with the idea for this show, one of the things that I focused on was making sure that I could do an eclectic list of movies because, as you say, you know, we, we do vary in our tastes of movies from classics to current to drama, comedy, action swashbuckling, you know, whatever comes along, uh, as long as it's well made, I think, you know, we, we have open minds towards it, which is not to put anybody down who doesn't, but I think some people don't. Some people mm. have a particular genre or a particular era that they focus on, and that's it. I know a lot of people who aren't willing to watch movies that are in black mm -hmm. and white, mm. uh, you know, or, or, you know, a movie such as this. Uh, I know people who wouldn't watch it because of the potential mm. squirming uh, with the violence. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Although this movie is not as graphic as you would think, you know, you, you like, if you read the synopsis of this and you've never seen it, I think you'd anticipate it being more graphically violent than yes. it is. Yeah. yeah. It really is. Like you said, the anticipation might turn some away, but it really isn't at all what you would expect. Now, if, if anybody's listening and they don't know already, we're covering the movie Leon the Professional from, is it 1994? Uh, that's, I, believe. I believe it's 1994 for the U.S. release. I think it actually got out in late 93 in France. but uh, 90. Okay, according to Wikipedia, which is not the most reliable source in the world, uh, but it says September 14th, 1994 in oh, France. Oh, good. Well, the, I, I will believe <laughs> Wikipedia. So... so I'll, I'll accept it as until somebody tells me otherwise. Uh, I had seen this when it first came out on home video. Uh, I'm trying to think in 94, it would have been still VHS at that mm -hmm. time. Uh, we, 
it would have been prior to DVD. Uh, and I saw the American release, which was just came out as The Professional, not Leon the Professional. Mm-hmm. And it was eventually released in a longer version that was that was Leon the Professional. Mm-hmm. And uh, to be honest, I haven't seen that version yet because the one I watched in preparation for today was also oh. the the shorter American mm-hmm. release. What is your history with this? We saw it on home video as well after it came out, not in the theater, but we were aware of it and were anticipating it. We were already fans of Luke Besson's movies because we had seen and loved La Femme Nikita, which came out a couple of years before this. So we we were fans. So I remember us being aware that this movie was coming out, but it didn't come to theaters anywhere near where we lived. We were, you know, we weren't in a very... Uh, urban area at that point in time so it was a rental that we were looking to see as soon as we could and I remember us renting it as soon as we could find it so then I'm I'm assuming if you first saw it at that time you would have seen the same version I did which is the 110 minute version that's right yes it was just called like you said just called the professional that's the title I knew it under for years and years until probably the DVD release I guess you know maybe in the very late 90s or more likely the early 2000s they released it on dvd and they gave it like you said they they released the original cut so it's like 15 or 20 minutes longer that's the original cut before they cut it down for america and then they called it uh, in all the rest of the world the movie's just called leon and here it was just called the professional so they decided to give it that hybrid title leon the professional for the longer version release here in the u.s now I I watched it on a DVD, but the DVD I have is also again the uh, U.S. version. Mm. Have Have you seen the full version when that was released? Yes, we we do. It's it's a movie I probably own more copies than I could count because I have. We had it on VHS, we had it on DVD, we have it. We had it later with the extended edition. We have it on Blu-ray, and we actually watched it wow. for this preparation on. Um, Amazon, I think it was on Amazon streaming, right? I think it was, but one of the streaming channels we have. So we watched it there, but it was, I could choose between. They had the 110-minute version or the two-hour and 10-minute version. So we, we watched the two-hour and 10-minute version. Uh, can you speak to the differences between uh, the two? That's a good question, and <laughs> Ruth just went, oh, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's one of those things, honestly, because I, I saw and loved the original version so much, but I remember the first time I had a chance to see the longer version, I remember then being aware of, oh, this is new, or oh, this is different. But the honest truth is, I don't know if I've watched the shorter version since the first time I saw the longer version. Because I'll be honest, like you were talking about with the amount of graphic violence or something, I think because so often that's the case, my expectation was that the longer version would just contain more graphic violence, but it doesn't. So I I remember watching it a little hesitantly, expecting that would be all the extras because so often that's what you get. But in this, I remember thinking as we were watching it the first time, oh, there's that scene or, oh, I don't remember that scene. But honestly, that's been 15 years or more ago, so I don't remember now. Right. I, I definitely have had that experience with some movies with the extended version when that becomes the version I mm, know. Right. <laughs> but this one, it's it's one of those things. There's nothing 
there's nothing different in the longer version that changes the movie. I just think maybe it has a little bit, you know, it's a pretty intense movie all the way through. Maybe there's just a few more times where it relaxes just a little bit. And lets you breathe some, probably when he's training her and they're bonding. It's it's interesting. Now that you asked that question, Paul, my immediate thought is, wow, I wonder why we didn't watch both. That would have been interesting to do. (laughs) (laughs) Because that would take you four hours to do. Uh, Not everybody's got four hours just to dedicate to one movie. But uh, looking at Wikipedia, there is a section on the uh, page for extended version and it says, according to Basson, this, ver- this is the version he wanted to release, but for the fact that the extra scenes tested poorly with Los Angeles preview mm-hmm. audiences. The additional material is found in the film's second act, and it depicts more of the interactions and relationship between Leon and Matilda, as well as explicitly demonstrating how Matilda accompanies Leon on several of his hits as a full co-conspirator to further her training as a con contracted killer interesting so i really appreciate you reading that because that makes more sense to me because like i said the the longer version was the original cut which was released internationally they cut it for the u.s and it makes sense to me that u.s audiences that that those sequences might not have tested well with u.s audiences because you have a 12 year old girl who's involved in i mean they go after a bunch of drug dealers but there's still she's involved in taking down some pretty nasty drug dealers. But uh, those sequences, actually, they're they're sort of interesting. They're just like the rest of the movie. They're intense one moment and sort of like quirky fun right. the next moment. Right. right. <laughs> I, I got to say, I would I I am curious to see the extended version and I may have to seek mm-hmm. it out and watch it because uh, there was a point in this movie. And, and let me just touch briefly on on the plot of the movie for people who haven't seen it and i'm not going to read the synopsis because i would rather you uh actually watch it Mm. yourself and i don't want to spoil everything about it although we're going to spoil a lot Uh, so you may want to stop it right here and watch it and then come back to us afterwards but anyway leon is a uh a hitman who came from italy uh he works for uh danny aiello who's uh big tony or old tony excuse me uh and he is a professional. And they make that very, very clear in the opening scene of the movie because the opening scene kind of has him on, on a uh, job. Uh, anyway, Natalie Portman, who's 12 years old at the time, and this is her first performance, uh, she is the daughter of somebody who runs afoul of some DEA agents who are uh, dealing drugs under the table. Uh, the family gets killed. Uh, in order to save her own life, she actually ends up seeking shelter with Leon. They develop a very close relationship, and he trains her to learn how to do what it is he does. And then they actually have a final uh, confrontation with the drug-dealing DEA agents that uh, killed her family. So we'll leave it at that mm. for now. The cast is Jean Renault as Leon. Gary Oldman is the head of the DEA uh group natalie portman and danny aiello that those are really the only actors you need to know there are other actors in it but i don't think there's anybody else of any true significance uh so now i'm going to just go right to the elephant in the room and talk about the thing that i know some people found distasteful uh and i really didn't uh so I'm curious as to how you guys perceive it, because I would imagine you're probably falling closer to where I am on this mm-hmm. one. Uh, but I, I know 
uh, I viewed the relationship between Leon and, and uh, Matilda as either parental or big brotherly. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though she would declare her love for him, I don't think it was ever a sexual thing. Right. But I think some people viewed this as a as as kind of a, a very uncomfortable relationship that she's 12 years old and almost then that there was some sort of a uh, you know Oedipal uh, Electra type relationship with him and, and this young girl. Uh, I don't think it ever went there, but again, some people did view it that way. So. How did you guys see it? I did see it more as she's clearly coming from a family where she's been abused. She's been neglected. Um, You know, that is shown a few times and he's aware of that. And she even, I think, you know, being young, doesn't understand what a healthy relationship looks like. And at that point where she said she loved him, she was talking about that knot she always had in her stomach was finally gone which I think was showing how she was relaxed and she knew she was being protected and nurtured and cared for, which in her mind does translate to love. And I do think of it as a parental or a big brother kind of affection. But again, she's new to the emotions and the terminology and just, you know, never having had a healthy relationship before. And we're getting to see that develop on the screen. I agree completely. It's, I've I've read those same sorts of things, and I think those are people who want to see something like that in it or maybe not want to. They choose to see something like that in it because just the thought of it makes their mind go there. But I think that the movie as filmed and presented makes it very clear, just like Ruth said, she has no idea what love is. And when she's she starts to feel it, uh, feel that she only has one way to express it. You see at the same time his reactions to it, which is. He's he's very clearly never interested in her in any other way other than caring for her and nurturing her and taking care of her. It's never anything more than that thought in his mind. And um, I've even read Jean Renault himself talk about that, you know, in his performance, he was playing it that way, that Leon would have never had any thought or desire about that. He only wanted to take care of her. And I think that comes through clearly. I think if you're seeing more than that, it's just that. You expect that in this sort of an age difference relationship, but I don't think it's in this movie. Yeah, I, I almost felt like she could have called him Uncle Lee. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. would work. And I think it's just, you know, I think Luke Besson went went there with the script. Uh, you know, he was dealing with a girl who who had no idea what love was. And I think it's just that the script goes there and she expresses it in a way that isn't appropriate, but it's because... She has she has no idea. She's never had a healthy relationship. No role models. Yeah, she doesn't know. Yeah, no, they do show her with her family early on, and clearly she has no role models. Oh, yeah. so, uh, I mean, it's it, it is uh, to call them dysfunctional would be to insult dysfunctional families. Yeah, I mean that that really shows this film. It's like when the the nurturing person in this movie is a hitman. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And he, and he guides her and helps shape her just in remarkable ways. And she really says, okay, okay. Like she really takes to heart when he's telling her things like don't smoke or don't curse. Don't and curse, then yeah. she changes over time. Yeah. He, she, he is very, uh, I'm trying to think of the word, uh, but he, you know, he, he he develops a parental relationship with her, and 
it you know it, it's maintained throughout uh and clearly he you know she tells him she loves him and she may not understand exactly what that means and the funny thing is i'm not 100 percent sure leon knows yeah, it either it's now the, the the backstory is he did have a relationship mm-hmm. In Italy, with a girl where he was in love with her, and things went bad, mm-hmm. and that's why he came to America. So I guess he does have some frame of reference there, but you, you got to believe that he never had a true family life mm-hmm. either, and that this, you know, having a young girl who's, a, you know, that he's uh, developing a paternal relationship with has got to be brand new to him. Oh too. gosh, yes. And and you know, you could see you you see him. Uh, as this movie goes on, and I just think it's a, a wonderful performance by Jean Reno, uh, that he he clearly develops this love for her, but he's also like a little stiff about it because he doesn't know how to react mm-hmm. to it. Uh, and he does, and again, I don't think there's ever anything uh, salacious mm-hmm. about it, but clearly he's uncomfortable with having somebody rely on him, with somebody who he's got to nurture, uh, and and he has to he has to develop that and and eventually you know it, it's just kind of heartwarming at some points when they show them playing games together <laughs> it's ruth is nodding so I enthusiastically <laughs> to everything you say it's it's almost amusing it's like i didn't know if she could nod that much <laughs> i agree entirely and in my notes when i was watching the film i wrote that this film was both heartwarming and heartbreaking you know just there's so many things that tug and pull on your heart throughout the movie, ups and downs, and it really grips you if it's if it's your kind of movie and you're open to it. Oh, yeah. I mean, you mentioned Jean Renault's performance. I mean, Jean Renault, I mean, I became a lifelong fan of Jean Renault the first time I saw this movie. I mean, this performance is amazing. And you're absolutely right, because when he tells the story of the tragedy of that relationship he had – you can tell that that broke him. Like you said, he's a broken man, and he was broken then. And you can tell he's been broken ever since. He's he he hasn't really known what to do or how to act since then. It's just he's been focused on this new job that he got when he came to the U.S. After that, and uh, you were talking about you know him not knowing what to do. The scene where he, you know, she comes and knocks on his door after her family's been killed, and he's looking through. He already has sympathy for her, but he's looking through the, uh, the eye uh, hole in the door, and he's trying to decide whether or not to open the door or or not. And you can just see the struggle. It's like he starts to, and then he stops, and he starts to, and then he stops. I mean, it's he's got to struggle every moment. He doesn't know what to do there. Yeah, oh, I agree. And it, it, it's a very tense scene. Uh, you know, you look and he's watching her through the peephole and, and you look at her and you could see her face is just like she's, you know, just about to get hysterical in tears. And, uh, you know, she's fighting it to just try and stay calm so that the uh, people who would be killing her uh, won't take notice of her they won't mm-hmm. think that you know they'll they'll see her go by but they'll think oh she doesn't even know there's anything going on right. uh, you know and and she's fighting to to maintain that calm uh so it, it's just a very tense scene and it's i, I think it's wonderfully executed and, and like you mentioned i mean natalie portman this of course is the first time we ever saw her either it's the first uh, thing of note she had done she is amazing in this i mean you know 
child actors, most of the time child actors are in cutesy little things because child actors do cutesy things. This is a 12-year-old who commands a full performance that is heart-wrenching and emotional and drags you all over the place. She is fabulous in this movie. And, you know, you see as it goes on, you see her development and how she learns from him and everything. But if you're watching closely, and, and I've seen some criticism, I read some reviews on this, where they, they, you know, some of the reviews I thought were absolutely wrong in that they say, oh, it's just, you know, it's, it's just an action movie, effectively. Mm. I think this is so much more because you see her developing, but you also see him developing. You know, you, you mentioned, Darren, that, that he's a broken man, and, and yeah, he was. But I think she fixes yes. it. Yes, and that's the core of this film. It's the relationship between the two and how they help each other over time. And, oh, the scene, talk about all of us being movie fans. I mean, you can see there was something of of Leon's original character still there, his original persona, when he goes and sees Singing in the Rain. And you can tell that that's where he just melts you know, into his seat and becomes this innocent, naive person who smiles, and he's never like that. But, you know, you see what the potential is there, and she really brings it out in him. I mean, he becomes a completely different person, and when you watch the movie and you just see all those subtle changes, and they are subtle, but if you're watching the movie, because this is not a movie to halfway watch. You have to watch the whole movie. You have to stare at the screen, but you start to see those subtle changes in how he moves and acts and sleeps uh it just is um really eye-opening see i think you can you can half watch this movie if you just want to see it <laughs> that's you know which is some of the criticism i've seen of it but i think if you if you want to just see an action movie you could just put it on do something in the you know do something else while it's on in the background yeah. And you'll see an effective action yeah. movie with some effective action <laughs> scenes, and that's fine if that's what you're looking for. And sometimes that is what I'm looking for, to be frank. Uh, but if you're looking for something that's you know a little deeper, a little bit more, then I totally agree with you. Then you got to pay attention, and you got to watch, and you got to see the subtleties of the acting and how the body language between mm -hmm. these two changes in respect to each other and in respect to just how they command themselves. You know, we talk about. You know, her, her maturing under him or him being healed under her. And that I think you see that in, the, in their performances and the way they go, you know, the way they move and the way they carry themselves. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a smaller performance, but I thought Danny Aiello was effective yeah. in his role. Uh, he, he's almost uh, like... You know, he talks about, oh, I'll keep the money for you and I'll save it. And you, and you, you start saying to yourself, is this guy, can this guy be trusted or is he like, you know, screwing with Leon? Mm -hmm. uh, but clearly he can be trusted because ultimately, you know, he takes care of Matilda when the time comes. Uh, Gary Oldman, I just think is, you know, I, I, I talked about, I was just talking to somebody about this yesterday, how you podcast enough, it makes a, a, a hypocrite out of you. Because you talk about certain things that you love, and then somebody does just the opposite, and you love that. Uh, and I, I talk so many times about how I love villains in movies who underplay it, mm. who just come come across as, you know, under the surface, bubbling, ready to explode. You know, I think the quintessential example of that is uh, Anthony Hopkins as Hannibal mm, Lecter. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> 
And I talk about how great that is. And then you see Gary Oldman, who could not be chewing more scenery <laughs> than he is in this movie. And yet he's just fascinating. And when he's on the screen, I just am glued to him. <laughs> Absolutely right. Oh, my goodness. I mean, talk about body language. Some of his body language. I mean, you think about you know when he takes drugs and you just see you know that visual representation of what that drug is doing to him but then at the same time you see him like when she thinks she's sneaking into the restroom to take care of him and he's hiding behind the door because he knows she's been following him and it's just like you know his body language in that scene as he kicks the door closed and you see him leaning against the wall he's in command and then the way he walks toward her it's you know, he so often with what he does, he looks like, you know, a, a multi-personality person because you just see even in his body movement, it's like completely schizophrenic from one scene to the next. Yeah, absolutely. And I just, I, I don't know, I just, I, you know, certain times you walk away with something and it just it leaves an impression on you. And again, it's absolutely chewing the scenery. <laughs> But when, you know, the, the, towards the end, when uh, when they are having the final confrontation and he's got the whole uh, outfit in there ready to, to take out Leon. But he knows without even hearing details, he knows that they, they are not good enough to take mm -hmm. him out, even though there's whatever, 10 of them and one of them. <laughs> uh, and and he's like, I want everybody to go. And they say, everybody, everybody, <laughs> the way he says it. It just I don't know. It just. It really just stayed with me afterwards. And it really is. I mean, and it's so right. The, those scenes when you, you know, when Leon is quote unquote escaping and he's going down the stairs and it's like everyone really did come because there's a police officer in, in gear on every step all the way down multiple stairwells after multiple stairwells. And yet, you know, um, Gary Ullman's right because none of them had any idea. Oh, he's, he's, it's just, it's so well done. <laughs> I just can't, can't say it enough. And I had not seen this since 1995 when it first wow. came out on VHS. And because you guys had mentioned this one to me, I was like, okay, let, let me watch this again. I remember I liked it. You know, some, sometimes it's, oh boy, I didn't like this back then, but I'll give it another mm -hmm. chance. In this instance, it was, I like this. I don't know why I haven't seen it mm -hmm. again, but there's so much of it I don't remember. So I'm going to have fun watching it. And I yeah. did. Um, it's 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 got a lot going for it. Uh, I'm surprised that uh, Besson hasn't done a lot more. You know, he's done he's done so many films that I love. He's done a lot of things that I you know don't have a lot of interest in. I do have very varied tastes, but at the same time, you know, sometimes you just read a description and you think, oh, that's not a movie I'm interested in. But you know, I, I became such a fan of his early on because you have La Femme Nikita, you have this. And you have the fifth element all back to back to back. And that made me such a huge fan of him. And, you know, I've really followed him ever since then. And you're right. I, I would have thought he would have done even more things that I would have liked and followed and been interested in. But I know he, you know, Ruth and I actually liked Valerian, the movie he made a couple of years ago. It's it's not a perfect movie. I understand the faults that people find in it because there certainly are many. But at the same time. I see in that movie, it, there's there's a good movie in there, and you can tell he was probably just too big of a fan of the material because he he overwrote the movie. He tried to put you know everything he loved about that 
40 year comic series into one movie. But, you know, I just, there are so many things that of his that I've loved, but the thing is, is, you know, you get other things that he, I forget sometimes he didn't direct them, but he wrote and produced them like, you know, the transporter movies he wrote and produced. And you can see those and you could think, you know, if, if um, Jean Renault had, was younger, he, I'm sure he would have cast Jean Renault to do the Transporter movies and and the Taken movies. So he's done a lot of other things, sort of sometimes that I forget that he does because he didn't direct them, but wrote and produced them instead. Well, that that is an interesting background that I was unaware of that. Uh, now La Femme Nikita, which you mentioned earlier. And then Lucy in 2014. Lucy. Is that kind of a loose remake of La Femme Nikita? Uh, you know, I, I, I can see it coming from maybe two different stories that came from the same original idea. But Lucy, really, it takes it on a science fiction spin. So uh, Lucy's a really interesting movie, and it you think it's one movie, and then it turns out it's a different movie. So uh, we really liked Lucy, but it's one that really makes you think. It's like what? <laughs> <laughs> so, but I, I like a lot of things about Lucy, and um, she's the actress is really good in that. Who's named uh, Scarlett Johansson? Yeah, Scarlett yeah. Johansson. Yeah, she's really good in that, and. Um, the and it's nice just to see you know all the other things that sort of Jean Renault you know we talk about how intense he is in this and how what a good actor he is but he has such a range for other things because when we you know fell in love with him in this um, movie back in the 90s we had to start looking for things and then of course you know he's primarily a French actor so you know we would find things that were in French and subtitled but you know, he's hilarious in the visitors movies, you know, where he plays, uh, you know, this guy from hundreds of years ago who ends up in the present and and that sort of neat. And then you, you see him in the Steve Martin Pink Panther movies. And he's, you know, sometimes he's the best thing in those. Right, right. But um, somehow he, he made a career mistake by deciding to be in Godzilla. Godzilla yeah, that's the that's the thing everybody uh, points to that sort of ended a lot of people's. Uh, Honestly, after having seen him in The Professional. He was one of the things, other than the actual creature Godzilla, that was a draw to me to see yeah. that movie. Because I don't have anything particularly against Matthew Broderick, but I wouldn't go see a movie just because he's in sure. it either. Uh, Jean Renault was actually somebody who I said, oh, it'll be interesting to see him in this. Uh, that movie was a disappointment on so many levels, but, it, you know, we're not reviewing that one right now. <laughs> but uh, you get to see him chew gum and do an Elvis Presley impersonation. <laughs> yeah. And we'll just leave that at, we'll leave, leave that alone. <laughs> uh, but this uh, is a, yeah, I mean, it's just like we mentioned um, La Femme Nikita briefly. It's just, um, I don't know if you know, but it, actually Luke Besson got the idea to do this movie while making La Femme Nikita because Jean Renault plays a cleaner in La Femme Nikita. So he saw, you know, that scene, the way Jean Renault played it, and he thought, oh, this is a whole nother movie, and that's sort of where he got the idea to this, which I think is really neat because La Femme Nikita is a great movie, and then the TV series with Peter Wilson is such a great TV series too. But I, I like that Jean Renault's performance, and that is what gave Luke Besson the idea to do this movie. Yeah, just such an incredible cast in this film. Oh, it is. Like you said, uh, when you mentioned it, Paul, there's only four actors that you need to know in this because there are only four actors that – 
have really named characters. Everyone else is in it is really just, you know, they're an extra because they're there for a scene or there to establish one plot point. But it's just those core four who carry this whole movie. And, you know, honestly, you know, Danny Aiello has a nice part, but really it's the three. You know, you talk about this triangle of of uh, of Jean Renault and Natalie Portman and Gary Oldman. And boy, they really carry 90 percent of this film themselves. Yeah, I agree. I, I, no question about it. And I, I, I can't emphasize enough what you mentioned earlier about Natalie Portman. You know, she's 12 years old at this point, and most 12-year-olds, uh, I think the holding is, you know, can they hit their can they hit their spots? Can they give their lines without, uh, you know, stumbling on them? Which I don't even know if I can mm. do that. But uh, she she brings so much more to this. Oh yeah, than she is fantastic. And I, you know, I point to uh, the Phantom Menace. If you want to see a 12-year-old who is just, and I don't even know if he was 12 or but somewhere in that range. Mm. Who, who is just asked to hit his spots and to get the lines mm. out. And I, you know, I don't want to go too much into that one, but I've always said I think George Lucas was more concerned about that. And as long as nobody made a mistake, he never bothered to look and say, that was a good performance, that's the way I want to see it. You know, he, he, all he worried about was, you know, with his live actors was if they got their lines out correctly. Yeah, and it's, you know, I consider myself a George Lucas fan. I'm, I'll never be a George Lucas basher uh, but at the same time i'm a george lucas fan who recognizes everyone has strengths and weaknesses and george lucas's strengths are fantastic ideas and fantastic you know story ideas and fantastic visual ideas but he's not an actor's director yeah I, and i agree with everything you said i am not a basher either and i am not a prequel basher i'm not a i'm not a basher of any of the star wars movies to be honest with you i, I can find some level of enjoyment in every one of them with the exception of the cartoon movie that they released uh, of the Clone Wars, <laughs> but other than that, I'm 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 a fan of all of them. Uh, so I, I don't want to I don't want that to be taken as my oh, bashing. Yeah. No, movie, I'm sorry, I didn't so mean much. to imply I that. I, I just I didn't want to come out no, 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 negative no. myself because I was thinking. Oh. No, and I just wanted to make sure anybody listening isn't thinking that I didn't think you oh. did. Um, but I, I, you know, what's his name, uh, Lloyd. Uh, the young kid who was in that movie. I mean, that's people point to him and George R. Binks and they say that's, mm. you know, that that's what what killed that movie. And I, I think there were points in that movie could have been better, but you know, I look at it and it, it's kind of to me it's almost a typical twelve-year-old age group performance without refinement. Natalie Portman in this movie to bring it back to where we should be. <laughs> is giving a performance that is so much m more mature than her oh, age. Oh, yes. I mean, oh, it, I just I can't speak highly enough of this. If there's anyone out there who's a Natalie Portman fan from, you know, all of the many movies that she's done that are have made a lot more money than this, you know, they, they really deserve to go back and see her in this because this is what proved to everyone that she could do all of those other movies. I mean, she commands the screen when she's here, and, and she's 12 years old. Mm -hmm. uh, Very and, impressive. Yeah, and I mean, and she knew she wanted this movie. Her parents didn't want her to do this movie, uh, but she wanted to. And I, I don't know if you're aware of this or if your listeners are aware, but the thing is, is when Luke Besson got the idea for this and he saw what Natalie Portman was doing with this, he wrote a sequel at the same time. So you know, we have... The, the movie, like I said, and most of the rest of the world was just called Leon, and he wrote a sequel right away called Matilda that he mm -hmm. planned for her for 
Natalie Portman to play when she was older, but he wrote the script back at the same point in time. Sadly, he went and started his own production company. Well, I shouldn't say sadly. He went and started his own production company, and sadly, the company that had released Leon decided, well, you know, if you're going to leave us, we're going to hold on to the rights to this and not let you make that movie. So that's unfortunate because we could have gotten Matilda when she was an adult. Well, we did kind of get that, but we got it, uh, yeah. as you say, with a you know different director and a different storyline. Yeah. Because that's also they mentioned that on the Wikipedia oh. page that in 2011 uh, they took the script for Matilda and they used it to make a movie called Colombiana, oh. uh, which is a film about a young cleaner played by Zoe Saldana. Oh. Like like Matilda, her character goes to war with a drug cartel as revenge for the murder of her family when she was a child. It doesn't give you much more than that about the movie, uh, but if I click on that... Well, that's interesting to hear. Uh, so, I mean, certainly, you know, she's a great actress, too. I may have to visit that just for, you know, the interest in seeing what they might have thought. Though, like you said, you know, if it's it's not directed by Luke Besson and it's not... Natalie Portman, it's not really going to be quite the same thing, but it would be neat to see and see what he had in mind. Yeah, I guess, uh, you know, this, this version of it, you know, takes place in Colombia, so it's definitely a, a different situation. Uh, actually, where is Leon supposed to take place? Is that, it's, that's in it's Manhattan, in New, Yeah, it's in, in Manhattan, yeah. Because the the scene when he she's practicing her aim with the uh, the sight that's in Central that's right Park, I believe. yeah it's uh and it's an interesting uh, movie since you know Luke Besson is French so I think they all the exteriors were filmed in New York but all the interiors were filmed in France and just you know because I mentioned it without even connecting the dots that uh, Natalie Portman was in Phantom Menace and the, uh, the prequels that we were just talking yeah, about yeah yeah that's uh, right and I, I forgot to I forgot to, to bring that out so. <laughs> yeah she's uh, that's right you know I hadn't even thought about that either we were talking about 12 year old actors and you know what uh, some can do and some can't but yeah you're right Natalie Portman's in those and I didn't even think about it at that point in time you got to wonder if, it, and that, it, the name came to me now. It's Jake. Oh yes. Uh, you got to wonder as they're filming that if if she possibly shared some of her experiences with mm. him. You know, when I was younger and I was a young kid, and you know, did a movie. This is the way I approached it, or whatever. Uh, you know, I wonder if she mentored him at it's all. It's interesting. I know. Uh, so he's because he's only in the Phantom Menace. I'm trying to remember. It's been a long time since I've seen the prequels. I don't remember how large her role is in that one or if they have if they're on screen much together uh, i guess they are um uh, it's, yeah. i think it's fairly yeah, significant I, was say, I'm, I'm, I have scenes coming back in mind now it's been a long time since i've seen that so but i I'll, i will mention just a couple of other things i know we're sort of getting to we were talking about you know the potential sequel there but one thing i know i love about this movie as well is some of the symbology and i know we, we really didn't talk about it, but a couple of notes Ruth and I took were, you know, how uh, Leon always drinks milk, which is sort of that, you know, the symbology of something that's wholesome and nurturing, which is what he could have been and maybe what he becomes during the course of this movie. And then, of course, just the very clear symbology of the fact that, you know, he the only thing he cares for is his plant. That's which, his best friend. It's his best friend. <laughs> Yes. And which he comments on, it's like 
He's named, he's listing all the reasons he loves his plant, and one of them is because it has no roots like helm. And, of course, the symbology of the last scene of the movie when uh, Natalie Portman's character, Matilda, plants the plant in the ground so that it can take root. So it's... it's yeah, that's actually... You know what? I I took notice of the fact that you know she did that at the end, and I, I appreciated the relationship she had with Leon and how that reflected it. But I didn't think of that symbology, and that's absolutely correct. That's a good good observation. And it's it's you know that last scene where she goes back to school, and you know she starts off by telling a lie again, and the teacher says you know you have to tell me the truth, and so she tells her the truth, and the teacher's mouth just drops open. It's like you know the teacher believes it because it sounded sincere, but you see that Matilda has changed so much thanks to Leon. That you know she's completely different. She she doesn't smoke, she doesn't curse, and she goes and and puts down roots. And I really love that. End. Yeah, the fact that she wants to go to this. Yeah, school, she she wants to learn. I mean, it it says something for her character. She wants to learn. She wants to she wants to grow right. up. It's a wonderful movie. I mean, I know we've said it and said it and said it, but for the listeners out there, this is a wonderful film. If you haven't seen it, please watch it. It's great. Do not disagree at all. Uh, but the question is, it's wonderful, we know, but it's uh-huh. yours. <laughs> wow, that's a tough decision. I, I think what we might have. I think we might have uh, given our hand away early on. <laughs> this is. I love. I love Jaws, but this is definitely Jaws uh, class for me. This. This is a movie that I rewatched Jaws actually just uh, a month or so ago because it's such a fabulous film. And this is one of those other fabulous films. Absolutely. I agree. Yeah, it is Jaws. You know, it, it's it's one of the ones where I sit here and I want to say it's Jaws 2 because it's taken me 25 years to watch it mm-hmm. again. Uh, and so I want to I want to I want to blame that on the quality of the movie. <laughs> but that's. That's not a fair criticism because I watch it and I see tremendous performances. I see a really good story. I see some, you know, some heartfelt messages uh, and and some tug at your heartstrings moments without being maudlin. Uh, the only criticism I can really give this movie is that as I watched it this time with full knowledge of the extended version, mm-hmm. I did feel that the training sequences might have been a little rushed, mm-hmm. but I think that might be repaired if I watch the extended version. Yeah. It, it's uh, so so. I'm, I'm going to give it. I'm going to give it a somewhat incomplete because <laughs> I'm going to say I think it's probably Jaws when I sit and watch the extended version, and I'm going to give it a, an extremely high Jaws two on the version that I watched. Very good. Uh, I I can hear the um, you know the conflict in your brain, and all I can say <laughs> is that's perfectly understandable. And I can't I can't encourage you enough to go and watch the longer version. I like I said I can't remember what was or wasn't different, but based on what you read that it said was different, I'm thinking, oh okay, so yeah, all of those scenes. I wonder if those got trimmed down, and I can see why American audiences would have liked them. It's like uh, he's training a 12 year old to kill people. <laughs> <laughs> but right. you'll have to see but what I th- they're like. But I think, I think the only weakness I really saw in the film at all 
would likely be remedied by mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. I can see that. They spend a lot more time together in those sequences, and he really shows her. It's like he, I can see them in all the different hallways and him telling her this and telling her that. <laughs> yeah. And when she does well, some of her little voices, he says, what was that? <laughs> I think those 23 minutes will be well spent. <laughs> oh, fabulous to talk to you about a great movie. Yeah, and it's, it's great talking to you guys, too. And I, I really uh, I appreciate you making the time to get together with me again. And we need to do it more often. Uh, Let's you, do. You know how enthusiastic we are. We get a message from you, and it's like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that. I appreciate it. Uh, I like You know, I didn't realize until just now that... Uh, her the uh, Matilda's stepmom mm-hmm. is played by Ellen Green. Just remind me who that is from Little Little Shop. Oh of my goodness! Yeah. I I see it now. <laughs> oh wow! I I did not pick that up in rewatching it, but you're absolutely right. <laughs> That's a fun movie too. <laughs> yeah, so I you know I didn't recognize her, but now. Yeah that I'm looking at that, it's like, okay, now I know. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I didn't, it didn't click at all, but as soon as you say it, I can see her now. And I'm just looking at her. Uh, she's got a fairly extensive filmography. Heat. But uh, again, once again, just to, to, to thank you guys again for making the time to come on. Uh, and as always, why don't you just tell everybody where they could find you? You can find us at RadAdventuresNetwork.com or on your podcast app under Rad Adventures Network. And what does Rad stand for, Ruth? Ah, Ruth and Darren. Makes it easy to remember. <laughs> and we do several different podcasts there, uh, mostly comic-related ones. Ron Randall's Trekker on Trekker Talk, Mike Grell's Comics on Warlord Worlds, and Mark Schultz's Xenozoic Tales on Xenozoic Xenophiles. And then a few other little sideshows, too. Oh, great. And I recommend all of that to everybody who's listening. Uh, thank thank you. you. Thank you, guys. Thank you, everybody, for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks. I told you. Vanny. Bring me everyone. What do you mean everyone? Ah!